Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Matthew Norgren. He is CEO, founder of Arcadian Fund. We're going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on in the cannabis industry uh, relative to the COVID pandemic crisis that we're in. Obviously, it's having huge impacts on everyone, really, globally, and just about every business. But there's some unique things happening inside cannabis. I think, as most people know in the industry, um, cannabis businesses have been declared essential services in the medical program. I think in, in just about all states, I think eight of the adult use states have declared. I think I think the uh, governor of Massachusetts is being sued right now <laughs> for not uh, <laughs> making it an essential service. But essentially, cannabis is functioning at least to some extent. So the industry is moving forward; it's operating, but it is obviously you know hamstrung with all of the restrictions and things around it. But we want to talk a little bit about you know how this is playing out and what is likely to happen. I think the most interesting conversation right now is how is this going to reshape the industry? What is the future going to look like? And what do companies do in the space? 
space based on who they are and how they operate and where they're located and how big they are, it's going to have different impacts. So I'm really excited to talk with Matthew about this in terms of seeing what he has seen as being from the investor side, how he kind of sees this playing out, the insight that he's had, the conversations he's had. So with that, Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce, thanks for having me. This is an important time to be having community in any way we can. You know, we've participated with you in the past and it was a wonderful experience. So thank you for leading before, during, and I know you will after. And uh, we certainly sit in a seat that has a unique perspective on the industry that not many have. There are other wonderful funds out there and we're all very friendly. But from the fund investor seat, it's an interesting perspective that I hope we can share some valuable insights on these topics you just brought up. Yeah, no, well, and I, I appreciate you taking the time today. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of maybe backup from sort of the coronavirus, you know, coming full force. What was the situation of the cannabis industry kind of coming into this? The last couple of months, I know the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, saw a lot of kind of volatility with pricing. There was a lot of kind of activity in, you know, how these markets were being rolled out, you know, between Canada and the US. And there was a lot of drama, I guess, within the cannabis community in terms of the the business side of it and the, you know, some businesses not meeting expectations, driving down some prices. I mean, there's a lot going on from your point of view or from your seat. Characterize a little bit about what was happening with the market coming into coronavirus. And we'll talk about how coronavirus hit and how that kind of changed things. Give us a, your summary of things, the end of 2019 and beginning of 2020. Well, I think the biggest thing you have to talk about first to answer that, Bruce, is, and this is based on BDS analytics numbers with one of our portfolio companies. But regardless, mm-hmm. I think the best place to go for that type of an answer in terms of real data. And so we're going to go with those numbers. And if you look at them, they say that we grew 36% compound annual growth rate in 2019 from 2018. So when you go from less than 12 billion to over 16 billion in revenue as an industry, the answer is you should be pretty excited. (laughs) Yeah, that's significant growth. And so the question you ask is two things that then come to mind when you talk about the framework of, you know, what I believe if you look at various metrics in terms of cash flow generation, in terms of asset creation, in terms of consumer awareness, you can see the online numbers from an eyeball standpoint in different places. We are the fastest growing industry there is in that regard. So when you ask the question about market volatility, the first thing that comes up is why are we talking about market volatility in an emerging industry? I mean, you didn't go back in 1995 and look at dot com and internet and say, oh my gosh, what's the the market (laughs) volatility? of? They weren't public. They weren't public as they shouldn't be. Very few companies in this space should be public. The problem is that the fundamental assets, retail cultivation, manufacturing, agriculture, these businesses require, you know, significant amount of capital to be able to grow. And they got to a point where they weren't willing to wait around for the proper U.S. value chain investor process. Mm -hmm. They wanted to jump it and jump it because Canada came in and said, you can come here and do whatever you want. Yep. Door was open. So we shouldn't be talking about market volatility. These companies shouldn't be public. They should be private and they should be doing what businesses do in an emerging space, which is be prepared to pivot. I don't know if this is volatility as much as it is properly defined as an emerging industry. And as an emerging industry investor, you invest in a diverse hedge way in equity such that, you know, the old 80-20 rule tends to play out. 20% Mm -hmm. of your companies or 80% of your returns. Every time I build one of these or my team builds one of these in an emerging space, you never think that's going to be the case. Right now, if you look at Arcadian, we actually don't have a company that's had a down round or flat round. Okay. That doesn't mean there's things they have to solve, but because they're private, (laughs) you get the opportunity to do what you should be working towards, which is pivoting when something happens 
trends in an emerging space. So long answer is I see only things to be excited about. 36% growth is phenomenal. That's what I saw coming in. Mm -hmm. I see an increased consumer awareness and consumption. I see things happening in other places in the world to continue the macro level excitement in terms of China and India and Latin America and Africa and Europe. So I see nothing but things that are really exciting. I think the problem, Bruce, is that the wounds that the industry had to lick last year were self-induced. Yeah, yeah. And when you have a, a situation where the financial people behind it allow a company to go in a public market too early, raise money like an agriculture business at 50 to 100 times revenue multiples, 36% growth is a phenomenal as that is, and we'll continue to experience that if not more, is you'd have to have thousand percent growth every year to even get close to where they were raising this before. So you see an asset value recorrection in the public markets, not necessarily anything to not be excited about. We're extremely excited having played it as a you know growth equity investor and yeah. fundamentally sound investments. Yeah. So really just more of an anomaly of how the markets played out and because of the regulatory issues in the US and kind of the push to the Canadian markets and sort of premature accessing that capital set ended up, you know, exposing what would naturally is expected volatility, but which when you put it into a public market scenario causes a lot of drama and obviously the valuations being what they were made it all that much more difficult. So coming into 2020, I mean, I guess as you look at how the industry has both been affected by and responded to the coronavirus situation, you know, on one hand, you know, obviously, you know, hugely impacted on the other hand, you know, deemed essential services, right? I mean, the cannabis has, has been declared something that we need to keep going at all costs, you know, in, in, in some way. And, uh, you know, so that's got to be, you know, positive. That, that's got to be good for the industry or it's, it has to be a good feeling. I mean, given that 10 years ago, we were illegal, right? <laughs> so, so the fact that now we've gone from, you know, we're in a legal business to an essential business, that's a huge turnaround. It is. It's a huge turnaround. And, and I don't think we can express just how important that is today. I think we will have to see what the great people in this industry do in terms of using that as a tool in their tool belt when they go to have these conversations at the state and federal level. And all I can tell you is that in every conversation that happens throughout this industry, whether it's lobbying for the economic side of things or for the human rights side of things or for you know people in prison or ESG, I mean, you name it, whatever the great people in this industry have to go stand in front of decision makers and make a point, being tagged essential during a crisis is an absolute game changer yeah. that I think it's hard for us to really speculate on just how big that is going to be, especially when you have, you know, situations at the state and federal level where you need job creation. We know this creates a lot of jobs. You need tax revenue, a lot of tax revenue lost. And quite frankly, you know, we've had the longest bull market in history. So in a bear recession, pandemic, you know, all the things that are going on, you'll see the need for major asset allocators to find other ways to generate yield in this environment. Mm -hmm. You know, you tend to see them lean into the big companies that, you know, maybe yeah. you buy Microsoft, Apple, I don't know, I'm yeah. not a public market guy, but you buy the big ones, the rest of them you're kind of unsure about. So unfortunately, that's 80% of your portfolio. So yeah. you look at your alternative class and you're 10 to 20% there, you know, you're really trying to lean into some things that you think you can sprinkle some magic dust on and, and make it generate some returns that you may lose in your, your majority of your traditional exposure. And so you might see this actually be more interesting sooner than we would have thought otherwise. But who knows? We'll have to see all this play out. So thank you for bringing up the business essential tag. We wrote an article called Reassessing the Essential, which you can find on our 
our website. It, it was published a few places. It really talks about this very specific topic at length. I would encourage you guys to take a read of that. Put a lot of heart and soul into that one, and, yeah. and, and we feel pretty pretty passionate about it. But that's a that's a big point, Bruce. Thank you for bringing it up, and and let's leave it there because there's a lot of variables that will play out. We think they're good. Yeah. In terms of how we look at this industry going into the pandemic, I want to bring up an example. If you think about like what comes to mind in terms of an industry that is always considered to be recession proof, like maybe alcohol. Yeah. For also pharmaceuticals, alcohol. <laughs> pharmaceuticals, alcohol. Now, if you look at those compared to cannabis, so going into the pandemic, you see 36% growth. You see a year of properly value efforts in terms of public companies and their asset values already in place. So going in, you had a year for these companies to get to where they should have been in the first place. You have a vape situation. You have a number of things where these entrepreneurs are battle tested. I mean, they really are. They're phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I feel so blessed to work with so many of them. And so going into a pandemic, to me, it's a sensitive topic and a very, very difficult thing for most of the world. And we respect that. But on the business side of things, I don't know that there's an industry that has as much to be excited about as ours. And the question you brought up hits home as to why. So 36% growth going in, properly valued, lots of seasoned, battle-tested entrepreneurs going into a pandemic where this isn't a recession in alcohol. Think how much revenue alcohol on a percentage basis generates rates from commercial, public, social type yeah. situations. I, yeah. I, I looked at the numbers. I've seen a few different. Someone would know better, but I promise you it's between 60 and 90 percent of alcohol's annual revenue is done in places that are not yeah. delivered to someone's home or through a liquor store. Yeah. And so alcohol, although recession proof, may not be pandemic proof because yeah. you're going to see an uptick in liquor store sales and delivery sales. But when you lose 85 to 90 percent of all of your revenue, that's disaster. Cannabis, on the other hand, is not in a situation where you can buy and consume in a public social manner, other than a few places in this country and a few other places. But if you look at that 16 plus billion revenue number, almost zero of that is is a place that when this pandemic hit, that we lost as a revenue line item as an industry. Now, as the weeks and months have gone by, as you mentioned to start the call, you have a situation where many places that are medical are alive, some recreational having some debates. But the reality is we've only lost 10 to 15 percent, maybe less of the places that generate revenue for us. I think it's more like seven today. Yeah. So it's very little as compared to other recession proof pan- businesses in a pandemic. So I really like the positioning of our industry going into it. Of course, the first two or three weeks were all time sales highs. So you got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah. And so from an investor point of view, I mean, what's your kind of stance at this point in terms of looking at the industry, seeing opportunities, time? timing of these things. I mean, what's we're all kind of still guessing, I think, in terms of how the restrictions are going to play out. I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting that we're all just going to magically go back to work in May or June. There's going to be some kind of easing into this, you know, rolling restrictions. You know, this is going to kind of play out over time. But I guess, where do you see the opportunities? Where are you um, looking for opportunities? What is the strategy, I think, at this point from the investment side? Well, it, it's the same as it's always been, if not to be more aggressive. Yeah. This 
this is the opportunity to get into something. Now, if you invested in the dot coms in 95, 96, 97, and then all of a sudden 2000 hits, 99 hits, 01. And does that mean Google's not a good investment? I mean, you know, of course it is. <laughs> It doesn't change things. If you're public or you've gotten too excited and got ahead of yourself as a private company, then you could be in for a very difficult situation. Yeah. But if you think the internet's going to be big in 97, 2000 doesn't change your mind. It mm -hmm. just cleans things up so that the institutional class can get in and say, okay, thank you. You've made the case. These are the dot coms that are going to win. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we know who some of the winners are, for example. So I think if you had looked back to 2000 and you, targeted Google as a winner or some of these other internet companies, you would have a hard time believing you shouldn't lean in as hard as possible. Yeah. But right now, as Warren Buffett says, stock market's the only place that goes on sale, people run away. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know that you can't be more encouraged. So if you looked at this industry in terms of like Arcadian did, for example, you know, we did deals early on, but we launched the fund 17 said this industry's got five to 10 years of variables to get figured out before mm -hmm. it's institutionalized. Yep. You don't really care too much. I mean, you expect them. You don't know what they're going to be, what the variables are every year. So they're going to be good ones, bad ones, but it's all about going from A to Z, not about what happens in between. If you're private, you expect that. You strategize to be hedged and well-diversified so that you have the right companies and, and you have managers that are really focused on building those as you move through. Any one company is too risky in an emerging environment. There's yeah. just too many things that have to happen. So, you know, the same reason you invest with Andreessen Horowitz what's KKR Sequoia in the 90s, mm -hmm. you know, versus trying to do it yourself. It's just tough. That's why the U.S. folks put these rules in place in the 70s from a regulatory standpoint to allow growth equity, venture capital to have certain things around it from a, you know, capital gain standpoint, from a, you know, exemption standpoint to run these businesses because it's very risky to invest in an emerging space. But if you build a proper strategy around it, what they knew back then, which has created Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, you name it. Ever since that happened, this country has been able to thrive in innovation because of what's been done at the growth, equity, and venture level. Yeah. And that's where cannabis is. It's not institutional. If you look at every public company out there, you're less than 3% institutional cap table support, real institutional, not a company that's got some shares of something, but like professional institutional grade investors. Until that changes, you should be focused on, on the private side or on the retail side. I, this is a general statement, according yeah. to Bruce. There are companies like Cureleaf who have a great, you know, TrueLeaf. There are unbelievable companies that definitely should be there. But in general, you know, you shouldn't be there. You just shouldn't be there. You should be private. And that's why we're very excited. The variables change, Bruce. They change. Mm -hmm. It's okay. When you're an equity investor like us, we are there for our companies no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Till death yeah. do us part. <laughs> exactly. For better or worse, through sickness and health. Yeah. Okay. Through pandemics what, and, <laughs> and depressions. Matter. Yeah. That's what we're here for. And yeah. that's what type of investors should have been there since the beginning. Yeah. And now, thankfully, you have a situation where all these great you know, funds out there that we are so privileged to work with and humbled by on a daily basis, we get to go in and provide the equity and the growth and the structures that the good companies really need. And a lot of the bankers and brokers and public market traders are gone. Yeah. And so companies now have to be realistic with how they're going to structure their deal. That's to the advantage of our entire industry, not to have unrealistic comps when you're yep. structuring deals. And so with 36% growth being deemed essential, coming into the industry and not losing lines of revenue to the extent other pandemic-proof industries are, mm -hmm. I 
can't tell you how encouraged we are. We are fired up for the people that have done this right. And now is their chance to prove it. Yeah. Well, and so let's talk about what does it mean to have done this right at this point? Like what, how does, I guess, how does the game change, right? Given the sort of shift in both the kind of the economy as well as kind of consumer and general public sentiment. And I mean, what, what does a successful cannabis company need to focus on now? And how has that changed from maybe six months ago? And what do they need to do to kind of weather the next, say, six months of just kind of getting through this ongoing kind of COVID drama until we get to some sense of what, you know, the new normal is going to be? It's certainly not going to be like the old normal, but, you know, until we see a little bit more stability in what the future is going to hold. What do cannabis companies really need to do to be successful? Well, they need to do what they should have done since the beginning and run a lean operation in an emerging space where you watch every dollar that goes in and out and you track it, relatively speaking, to the industry's near-term growth potential. So if you're Mm -hmm. growing, again, if you're growing at 36% macro level as an industry, you should be able to run a very great business no matter what part of the supply chain you are. But what you have to do is not value your business in such a way that you predict it can grow (laughs) 3,060%. Yeah. Okay. It's just not possible. So you just have to be realistic in terms of what the growth is. So I think the entrepreneurs and, and, and business leaders in this space for the last year or year and a half have already started to make that a priority. And so going into the pandemic, I think we were more prepared than most industries from mm-hmm. that regard. Uh, if you look at Tilray, for example, you know we, mm-hmm. we're focused on ancillary U.S., type companies. But just if you look at the market, go look at Tilray's revenue two years ago and look at their market cap. And then look at Tilray's revenue today in their market cap. What you're going to see is a drastic increase in revenue, a drastic increase in real asset value creation, Mm -hmm. yet a significant reduction in market cap. And what that tells you is, okay, well, why is this not a good business? It's growing in every area that I can see. Maybe they have to reduce staff. Maybe they have to change some things. But in general, they've increased a lot of very important things, revenue and assets. So you would think the business would grow. That shows you how mispriced these things were. It has nothing to do with the business success. So I think they are prepared to run lean right now. They've all been trying to. So we went to all of our companies. I know all the other funds have done this well. We sit on a lot of boards together and Mm -hmm. we've asked all of our companies to really look into the business performance and tell us very clearly what is the leanest scenario with which you can operate this business for the next three, six, nine, and 12 months. Because Mm -hmm. We want to be prepared for that. That being said, our businesses are still performing supply chains intact. People are consuming goods. So I think they're prepared. We're asking them to be even more prepared. There are some, you know, most companies were looking to shore up their, you know, balance sheets, cap table structures over the last year and a half. So you really didn't see many that didn't try anyways. Those that didn't get it done in time, you know, we in our portfolio, there's not very many. I think only a couple out of 30 something. So you first lean into your company companies, you make sure that they're prepared and the ones that aren't properly prepared, you get them what they need to have the runway. Uh But they have to clearly indicate to us all that they know what it means to run lean. Now, what could happen? There's a lot of good things that can happen, but you have to be prepared for worst case scenario. Yeah, 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 you've got to survive the the potential downsides. So if you look at what's happening, consumer behavior patterns are being developed right now, arguably more than they ever would have at this rate for cannabis. So, Mm -hmm. you know, somewhere between four and seven percent of the world's population is an active flower user in some capacity on the adult side. And we never expected that to really change. People have had access to flower for tens of thousands of years. It's not going to encourage somebody, at least till the price is better, to go change their 
behavior patterns. They'll buy it from wherever they buy it, they'll use it. Yeah. But it's the other 93 to 97% of the people that we have been trying to build product for and educate on that particular delivery method and an experience that the plant can deliver. So there's a vast majority of the world that has been hearing about it, has always been familiar with the plant, understands it, but never really had the time to understand how these products work. So because we're still in business, what we're seeing on the data side is you have demographics of people that are purchasing products. The buckets are up 25% in many states. So the people are buying a larger bucket than they normally do. Mm -hmm. And they're buying products in it that are very different than what you would normally see in behavior patterns. Uh, you know, you might see an individual buy a sleeping product, a product for their pets, something to keep them excited during the day, mm -hmm. maybe an edible, you know. So you're seeing this wide diversification of products purchased by different demographics, which to me believes, leads me to believe that consumer behavior patterns are being developed. Yeah. We're an industry that they haven't been developed, so you don't have to change everyone's behavior. You're just educating them and allowing them to experience and explore experiences through products that they didn't even know existed. So if you get it right during this time and you make someone's life better and you deliver a, a brand name on top of that experience that they can identify with, this is the time you could actually, you know, yeah. really lock customers in, consumers in for potentially the rest of their life. So it's really, really important right now, I think, in cannabis to be focused on that. Bruce. Yeah, yeah. And it's, let's talk about the regulatory side a little bit, because, I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, cannabis was de deemed essential service, right? So, you know, big positive. On the other hand, you know, cannabis companies cannot access these federal programs, the, the stimulus programs, the PPP and the SBA loans, you know, so there's kind of a, a hit on that side. Uh, on the state side, you know, we've seen some really quick regulation. You know, regulatory uh, regulators have moved quickly to kind of adjust their programs to adapt to the situation. I mean, how how do you see sort of the regulatory side of this playing out? Like on some, I, I, on, in some ways, I see some really positive change. On the other hand, I think, you know, I think we're going to see the 280E pushback. I think banking regulation, you know, is like, it doesn't look great for 2020. I mean, like, a, you know, net net, or how do you see some of these, these factors playing out? And what do you think the net net is on the regulatory side? Do you think we're going to be at a better regulatory situation or are we going to extend some of the problems that we've been having? I think it's going to delay us knowing the answer to that for a little bit of time, just impeachment and pandemic and yeah. then election. People are busy. That's fine. So I think we don't understand what those answers are for a little longer than we had hoped. Yeah. But I do believe that if you look at all of the variables that are at play to give an answer to that question, they all line up to the fact that this should get more attention when the conversation actually happens than it ever did before. I mean, we can't believe there's any reason why it wouldn't. Yeah. And so and so I think we have to wait a little bit for that. And right now we just need to do our best job to clean out bad actors in our space. Yeah. And that will naturally happen. And to be honest with you, a lot of the news you're going to see, if there has been any negative news that you have been paying attention to as a listener to this broadcast, be paying attention to the ones that are going to come up and just probably understand that those are companies that had problems anyways. Yeah. And this accelerates that or gives them an excuse, gives them an excuse, which, yeah. hey, you know what? I hate to Cover. say that because <laughs> that's, but it is a reality, you know, yeah. and it's a reality that people may use this unfortunate situation for many as an excuse as to why things didn't work out. But the other side of the coin is there are great founders, great investors, great people that did things the right way, looked at their business, properly valued their business, said, hey, I'm a data software SaaS based business. What is my type of company trade at? Mm -hmm. And 
I'm going to build my business based on the industry's real growth numbers and the types of multiples and metrics with which my business trades at in any market in the world. Yeah. Those people will be able to get through this. They'll run lean. They'll be super happy. And on the other end, which isn't that far away, we get some of these questions answered. And, and I think most of us believe that the light at the end of the tunnel is more visible than ever. It certainly is at the end of the tunnel right now, but it's not like we don't think that it's brighter. It's almost like a leak in a dam that yeah. is just springing. It's getting, it's getting a little bigger, a little bigger. And it just feels like it's about to blow open. It is needed now by states and governments at the federal and state level more than more than before. So I think it's gonna, you're going to see some of that play out. Pay attention to that and really read through the lines as to is this company potentially one that may not have done the right things anyways. So I think another, another point I'd like to bring up there, yeah. Bruce, is that coming out of the pandemic, you also have to be very encouraged from a consumer standpoint because compare this to, I don't know, some other, name some other great businesses or industries that are benefiting from this? Uh, well, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> They're doing well. <laughs> some others, like consumer-facing. Oh, consumer? That's a good question right now. I've seen so like, many that are not doing so well. Esports. Yeah, I can see, uh, I can see some esports. Uh, the media. Zoom video. Yeah, Zoom, Zoom video. video. There you go. Okay. Everybody's on Zoom video. So what happens when the new reality, whatever that means, sets in? Well, I can promise you, people want to be in a real-life community situation. Yeah, yeah, people are going to take real temporary. meetings again. Are they going to be more aware that Zoom is a good option? Yes, yeah. they are. And to some extent, you know, as the years go forward, there will be a boost in awareness and use for online meetings. But people have the option, which the majority of them will take, to move back into real meetings. So yeah. in cannabis, um, that's not an option for you. Like esports, if you're sitting home playing esports, you know, the minute Tom Brady straps yeah. on the cleats and the the gear with that new Tampa Bay jersey, you're going to want to see that happen, right? Yeah. So in cannabis, you don't have that option. You can't pick up cannabis as a product and during this pandemic and then go back to some other way of consuming cannabis. Yeah. It doesn't exist. When when the pandemic's over, you either buy this through delivery or you go to the retail like a pharmacy and it doesn't change for you. Yeah. So we don't lose any consumers either. Like many of the businesses that are doing well in a pandemic like cannabis is, yeah, we're one of the few that, yeah. yeah, it's a temporary bump or a more minor bump long-term because of the option to go back and have attrition, whereas there isn't that in our space. So, you know, not very many industries in the world can say they grew at this pace going in. They're thriving and doing just as well as any business during, and you can't leave that consumer purchasing behavior after. Yeah. I don't know if there's any. Yeah. So it's it's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. I'm curious for the companies that, you know, were not healthy coming into this, who hadn't done the work they needed to do to, you know, position themselves uh, in a strong way to be able to weather this. What happens with them? I mean, in a kind of a regular industry, there's kind of a M&A process. You know, they get bought up by other companies. Their assets get utilized in different ways. You know, in cannabis, it's a little funny just because you have all the regulatory issues around it. Some of these assets are difficult to move around. They're tied into licenses. Licenses have, you know, various regulatory kind of constraints. I mean, do you see this kind of functioning fairly efficiently from a M&A point of view? Or do you think there's going to be problems in terms of being able to deal with these assets and these companies that don't perform so well and aren't able to survive? Well, it definitely depends 
on if you are a plant touching asset or not. Yeah. Because if you are not, different conversation will transpire. So the first thing I'd like to say on the ancillary companies is that, and this goes for any company, if you had taken capital from the venture capital growth equity community of funds with a brand name that are very well respected in the community that they have to be thinking about in terms of what their brand means to the community and how you deal with your companies. If you take capital from groups like ours, we are with you till death do us part, yeah, exactly. regardless. Yeah. And so we we don't have the choice to leave the company behind. We yeah. don't have the choice not to pay attention. Yeah. And so when times get tough, we're not in there. You know, if we were just a facilitator of a transaction, a broker, a banker, we would be long gone. I mean, once yeah. the transaction's done, you're long gone. You won't. You can't even talk to those people right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some answer. Good bankers will, but most many won't. And so if you had taking growth equity, we've been answering your calls every day and we can't go anywhere because we're tied to the success of the business, just like the people that are fighting every day for that to happen. So we are invested and present enough to make sure that if a situation comes up, we're able to be ahead of it. We're able to talk to our friends at other funds. We go out to the community and all the other companies and we're able to try to give the best opportunity to make a deal, whether that be sell some of the IP, whether that's, you know, do an M&A event privately, take mm -hmm. on some of the, we can really help and we're not just coming in at the time it's needed. We, we are there. So you got to be really cognizant of what type of capital you should be taking in an emerging industry because it's really a partnership. And yeah. that's where, this is where you get to prove that. And boy, are we excited for that. But if you didn't, then a different conversation because now you're trying to figure out if the people that were involved with your business are going to be involved. And if it is, then it's transactional. Yeah. And so they're less concerned with your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, your family, yeah. and more concerned with what your assets are worth. And they're going to make decisions based on that. Now, good debt and credit providers care about you and they really don't want to see people hurt, but their fiduciary responsibility is quite different than it is as a venture capital or equity firm investor. So they have to, at some point, make the decision to kill a company, take something from a company. They are forced to make very tough decisions yeah. and they're going to have to do that. So to answer your question from that perspective, which we didn't do any of these plant touching overvalued deals. So we, we aren't having to really work on a lot of that, although we're very familiar with it and have partners that do handle that side. So in Canada, at least you have the rules with which you can do that. Mm -hmm. In the United States, it's kind of a state thing. Some receivership is happening. You know, bankruptcy is obviously a question, but I think you can feel comfortable if you've underwritten the deal in such a way that you pick it up at an economic value that makes sense. And if you pick up a company or a business that has assets in multiple places, and let's say you miss on a few things, you can't get a few, there's some problems. If you've underwritten it right, you've already accounted for the fact that a certain percentage of that may not work out for you yeah. and you're okay. But the real answer is we don't know how a lot of that's going to work out. And in an emerging space where you don't have those rules, to me, that's why we haven't built a strategy on that because there's just a lot that goes with yeah. it, a lot of complexity that you have to have in place to feel extremely comfortable making that particular move. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, I appreciate your optimism and I appreciate your kind of outlook on the industry. I think it's not only much needed, I think it's correct. <laughs> you know, I think we've got a lot to look forward to. I think the fact is we're going to have a painful six, 12 months. Overall, the entire world is going to have a painful six, 12 months. I think cannabis, just like everyone, is going to have a painful six, 12 months. But I, I think there are so many things going for it, so many opportunities, a lot of bright spots for the future that I'm excited to kind of get through it and, and 
and see what we can do with this industry, with these businesses, because I think there's a lot of great things that can come out of this. If people want to find out more about you, about Arcadian, what's the best way to get that information? The best way would be arcadianfund.com or arcadiancap.com, but a lot of our information is on the website. Bruce, thank you for the time. Thank you for giving us this audience. Nothing means more than being able to properly share thoughts and perspective from, you know, we consider ourselves a, a group that really cares about this industry. We Our whole lives is in this industry. And, you know, the um, the biggest thing we can say in parting is that we encourage everybody to work together. Collaboration is the key. Transparency is the key. Doing things the right way is the key. But together, there's just no way that we lose. Just there's zero way at this point in time. And so um, staying together, working together, collaborating, there's enough for everybody. Trust me, it's so big. This is so big. There's so much for everybody. You don't have to fight for your own. You can share, you can work with people. You're early enough. This is so big. That's the way to do it. And um, and please feel free to reach out to us if we can be of any help. Thank you so much, Matthew. I appreciate it. And we will keep in touch as this plays out. And I really appreciate your time today. You too, brother. God bless. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.